All right, we ready? Yeah, I'm good. All right. I haven't thought about how I was going to kick this off. Yeah, what is it called even? Uh, this is called the Dairy Connection Podcast. Well, I think I'm going to call it Dairy Connection, colon, a Stephen King podcast. Oh, that's good. For the SEO. Yeah. Did you know there are other worlds in these where they all float or get a bad disease? Let's all go to Castle Rock. We can hitch a ride with Christine. And you will find the Dairy Connection. And we can party like it's 6 so let's talk about this. Let's talk about what's happening here. Um, I Chris literally <laughs> just shuddered as I said that. I mean, Chris's body is rejecting the podcast. Uh-huh. <laughs> right, because it's so exciting. Um, also, we should mention right before we started doing this, we blew out an outlet, which was very spooky. Oh, that is spooky. And there was yeah. smoke? Yeah. Like a ghost? Like the, mm-hmm. like the outlet's soul leaving its body? Yeah. <laughs> so That's I feel good. like... We're- yeah. Yeah. Cool. So anyway, so I, uh, I am a, a lifelong Stephen King fan and I have a website called dairyconnection.com where I attempt to track every single connection between every single Stephen King book that's ever existed. I don't think I'm anywhere close to having that, but I think I have more than anyone else does. I'm not sure. Really? I don't think anyone else is even trying to do this. Why would they? There's got to be someone else, right? There are like, there are like wikis and things where it's like collectively oh. people are like, oh, I saw a connection between these. And on Stephen King's website, there's like a forum where people track connections. Yeah. But I think I'm the only individual trying to read every book and write down every connection. I also take submissions. Wow. So maybe after reading The Green Mile, you guys will have some. That's very legit. You haven't said your name yet. I'm Maya. Let's, yeah. So let's, well, so to finish that thought. So yeah. we're, so I've had this website for a while. I wanted to make a podcast. Uh, I'm here actually with three of my coworkers. We happen to work at a podcasting company. If you want to make a podcast just like this one, you can do it at anchor.fm. Uh, let's introduce ourselves. So I'm Maya. I run the dairyconnection.com. Uh, Patrick. Uh, I am Patrick. Oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is actually my first time on a podcast. Really? Uh, okay, don't put it in the podcast. <laughs> Someday this is going to be the top podcast in the charts oh, and you're going to be fuck. very embarrassed. All right. Well, anyway, um, so the we're going to be talking about the Green Mile today. Yeah. Um, and that is the second story I've read by Stephen King. The only other thing I've read is the Dark Tower. His magnum opus. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and I love that. And the Green Mile was also great. And yeah, that's Excellent. me. Great, Christopher. Um, I'm Christopher. I think <laughs> I might have read the least. Stephen King of the group, but I've read uh, The Shining and Eleven Twenty Two Sixty Three. Is that mm. the right name? Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. And uh, then this one, The Green Miles. Oh, cool. Uh, hi, my name is Brendan Bigley. Um, I uh, I didn't read The Green Mile, so this is going to be <laughs> fun. I'm just here for the shenanigans and the good times with friends. Uh, and, you did you and did read wine. one part of it, right? I, I read it a couple pages. You told me you read the whole first. <laughs> you you meant you were on the first part, not the. Oh yeah, yeah, I'm on the first part. Okay, so Brendan has read two pages of I the Green Mile. I went to Dee's Luncheonette in Hawthorne, New Jersey, <laughs> and uh, just appreciated the fun family vibe while reading about uh, just the most horrific cell block in in human history. Um, for two pages. For a couple pages, yeah. <laughs> so I have read a bunch of Stephen King, actually, more than I thought when you asked me this earlier today. I, it suddenly occurred to me. So I read uh, Christine. That was a, that was my entry to the Stephen King world. Probably my favorite book still mm-hmm. of his. I am totally obsessed with it. I've read it more than once. Um, and you never read books. Yeah, I, I don't. So that's saying a lot. Well, I've read. I read a. 
I used to read a lot of books, and then I got stuck in this trap where I kept reading Lev Grossman's The Magicians repeatedly forever, and I, I have a curse, and uh, I'm still waiting for it to be lifted. Anyway, I also read Under the Dome, which was fine, and I read Cell, which I hated. Yeah, everyone did. Um, yeah. So you've read three, four, well, three and two pages. Yeah. Okay, great. Uh, and I, so I, uh, I think people think that I have read every Stephen King book. I think I've read, I actually did the math. I think I've read two thirds of them. Um, so I'm still working my way through, but I think wow. I've read way more Stephen King books. Than How many is that? Oh, God, I don't know. I think he has total. I want to say he has like 70 ish books and I've read like 45 of them wow. or something. Um, for a long time, it was all I read. Yeah. Um, and I'm getting back into it now for this podcast. So we read the green mile for our, uh, book club. It's, a, it's actually the second book we read. The first one we read was probably my favorite book of all time, which was not by Stephen King. It's called children of time, but that's a story for another day. Great book. All right. So I thought we could start with some, um, book clubby questions and sort of, you know, get this thing moving, get us talking about the story. So let's start with, um, did everyone like the book besides Brendan who wouldn't know? Yes. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was pretty great. I loved it. I actually just finished it last night. And I sobbed for a very long time. Really? Yeah. Are you going to be upset if we talk about spoilers? No, 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 not at all. No, (laughs) not at all. See, just uh, consider me a passive observer. I hope that by the time I walk out of here, I feel like I read the book. Yeah, I think you might. That's 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 my hope. Yeah. So I so what really got me because I so I've seen the movie before who you've seen the movie a long time ago. Uh, Yes. But I don't remember any of it other than the some of the actors and that's okay so re- most of us were i i saw it a few years ago but you guys were kind of going in blind as well right yeah I, I saw it a long time ago yeah so i the green mile was already like one of the saddest movies i've already i've ever seen so when i started reading the book i thought that i was going to be crying the whole time and i was very proud of myself that i wasn't and mm-hmm. then last night when they got to obviously john coffee's execution is very mm-hmm. sad yeah but when they get to the part so like the part about um his wife dying really got to me because it was just like it was this cool guy who did so much stuff and had like was so brave. And then it's like he got into the stuff about how this happens to all of us. And like, that's what really broke me. Cause it's like this old, I can't do sad old people stuff. Mm-hmm. And it was like this sad old man talking about how like fruitless it all is. Yeah. And I cried a lot. I also got very weepy towards the end. Really? Like uh, definitely a bit during uh, John Coffey's execution, mm-hmm. but yeah, like the ending with, um, with Paul, where, as you said, like, it kind of explains that, like, the whole point of the story is um, that it's not just John Co- uh, Coffee suffering. Like, it's something that everyone goes through yeah. in life. Um, yeah, and it was it was pretty heartbreaking. Yeah, very heartbreaking. Um, I think, what about, uh, I was sort of surprised by the, uh, I told you this the other day, the graphic language in the novel. Because I don't remember. So the movie is pretty true to the book. I think you guys should watch it because it's like it's really cool how they stuck right to it. Like even the narration feels like you you get a lot of backstory, which you don't always get in the movies. Um, but I don't remember the movie having like that aggressive of like swearing and like gross, like sexual innuendo and stuff. And right. Stephen King does tend to do that sometimes. Like he's really good at portraying evil characters. So sometimes he says really horrible things. But um, this book was sort of like nonstop that because you're in a prison with murderers um and they are they act just like real murderers oh yeah. <laughs> in that they swear a lot except for dell i think like dell yeah. i found him to be an interesting character because like he did horrible things but he's very likable. lovable yeah. yeah like it's almost like uh he seems very innocent when the mouse comes into the story yeah yeah 
I, that was the other, the, the, the probably second saddest part for me of the book was like the whole, like he's about to walk the green mile and all he cares about is his mouse being safe. And the, they, the fucking, they talk about mouse town or whatever it's called. Mouseville. Yeah. Mouseville. So sad. Fun fact. (laughs) So Stephen King writes a lot of his books in Maine, but he also writes, um, he, he sets things in other places where he's lived. So he lived in Colorado. That's why like the shining is set in Colorado. Um, and he has a few books that are set in Florida because he has a summer home in the Florida Keys. Duma Key is one of his books, one of my favorites. And so when they were talking about Mouseville or whatever it was called, um, I thought that was like a nice little nod to like the happiest place a mouse could be is in Florida. The oh, King loves weird. it in Florida. Yeah. A lot of connections coming up. That's oh, a man. pretty, uh, I don't know if that's a real one. Are you but... telling me Disney World is in Dark Tower? Yes. Nice. <laughs> is it, Pat? You know, I don't remember it being. I like, it definitely has a lot of references to a lot of other. Is Wizard of Oz works. Disney? Um, no. Okay. no. Well, anyway, Pat just finished reading the, the Dark Tower, so I think you're the most expert person here. Yeah, I, I guess you could say that. Yeah, yeah, you'll remember. I'm sure there's a lot of stuff that I don't remember because yeah. I read it very quickly. I read it the over six months, I guess, uh, the end of last year, early this year. Yeah. But well, I have one specific question for you coming up later, so okay, stay tuned for that, Pat. Don't leave. All right, so uh, I'm gonna. I have a lot of talking points here. I'm gonna. I'm gonna start asking questions. So one that I, I feel like I was thinking of throughout the book was they make this really interesting choice to tell the story from the perspective of Paul when he's really old. In Paul's the main character, if you haven't read the book, um, in a nursing home, and so he's looking back on it. But it's not just a memoir. It's like interspersed with stories of his time in the nursing home. So what did you guys think about the decision to tell the story that way? What did that mean to you? Well, I mean, like, I think the whole point of the nursing home is to compare Paul's life to life in the the prison that he worked in, Um, which I mean, he says himself, he compares him and the other residents to prisoners. Yeah. Chris, what did you think? At first, I guess it was jarring, but then the book has its own style and then it seemed made it more believable that he wrote the book or, or wrote the story, which was kind of cool. It seemed, yeah. it seemed like he was kind of just, just telling a story. So, yeah. Yeah. I felt like it made it feel much more real. And I think like I kind of mentioned before, I think it makes you, it forces you to see it. Like I think people have a hard time seeing things from old people's perspective. Like I think when you're young, you just sort of put it out of your mind. And I think he says this a few times where he's like, you think this isn't going to happen to you, but it happens to all of us. And I, it's one of the few stories I've seen that like, forces you to see it from an old person's perspective in a way that doesn't just write them off as like a wacky old person. Like he still talks like a young person and you, he remembers the events so vividly that it feels like you can see, you can imagine what it would be like to be an old person having those memories and remembering when you were young, which I found very touching. Yeah. It's a really striking way to, to illustrate the idea of death. I think in general, just like, okay, I've had a whole lifetime of experience watching people have their lives taken from them arguably too soon i guess you could say uh from the perspective of someone who is like literally knocking on death's door yeah um and, and just the dichotomy between those two experiences uh as a reader who is experiencing all of that simultaneously is like terrifying and it, and it just puts it at the forefront of your mind like right from the get-go yeah which i think is fascinating should we should we tell brendan what the deal is with paul see is he god he's not god uh so uh, during the story, yeah. Paul is healed by John Coffey. Yes. Um, oh, right. I know this. You I got to that? No, I remember this. Okay. He's, yeah. um, he's like 100 something, right? He's like 150 somewhere. He's 100, he's 100. Well, in the book, he's 104. I think in the movie, he's 100. And, 
eight. Yeah, yeah. So every, everyone who comes in contact with him uh, lives a super long life, right? Like like the mouse. With John Coffey, yeah. Yeah, or the rat yeah. or whatever. Yeah. yeah. How do you know you remember this from the movie? Yeah. Yeah. Also, uh, just to note, like, that's a strange difference in age for the, the book to the movie. Like, I wonder what the reasoning for adding four years was. <laughs> Yeah. There's all these arbitrary, like tiny changes that they made in the movie. And it's like, why would you, I, I imagine it's because, so here's one theory is the movie came out three years after the book. So maybe they wanted to keep his birthday the same for some reason. Oh. Like he was still born in 1932, but he was like three or four years older. Wait, the movie came out three years after the book? Yeah. Oh, well that would explain the, the three to four year eight. It's still difference. a little weird. It's just a weird thing to be like, to have him say out loud in both. <laughs> yeah. I'm 104. I'm 108. Is it like, like after he weird... wrote the story, he's just like, oh, I'm going to tell it to someone again. I guess the idea technically is that they're trying to pretend that this actually took place in real life and the person sold the rights to their movie. That's actually a really good wrote an, wrote an autobiography. It came I'm out. I'm going to go with wow, that answer. Yeah. As That's Stephen a... King. In and the fiction of... The Green I, Mile. I yeah. will say, and this is what Stephen King tends to do, is he like intersperses like, that's not the right word, but he like mixes real life with fiction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, who knows? Maybe Stephen King demanded they do that in the movie. So it seemed more real. That's actually a really cool idea. I have a list of questions to ask Stephen King about The Green Mile, so I'll ask that. I'll add that to the list. Oh, when you talk to Stephen King. Yeah. Cool. So I found a really great quote about this this concept of Paul being this old person telling this story. Um, it's actually, so the I was recently on a Dark Tower podcast and then I was, it's the Wired's Geek to the Galaxy, uh, Geese Guide to the Galaxy. And then I was on another episode about um, like horror movies. And one of the people that was on the horror movie thing is this guy, Grady Hendrix, who I had no idea when we were on the podcast together, but he has a whole series where he's rereading every Stephen King book. So I was like Googling stuff about Green Mile and found this really great thing from him, ironically. Um, but so he has this quote that says, in the end, the Green Mile is Paul's life, one long harrowing march to the death chamber. By the time we reach the end of the book, he's begging for death, as desperate as John Coffey, to be free of this fallen world. I don't know if you guys are aware of this. I think you are. But when Stephen King published this book, it was published as a serial novel. So he released one story or like one part, I guess, every month in 1996. Um, What do you think of the decision to like, what do you think it would have been like reading the book that way? Well, so I, I, well, I should say that the book didn't really hook me out until maybe the third part. Mm. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, I like it was good and I was enjoying reading it, but there was nothing like I, I didn't have the feeling of like, I need to get back and keep reading. With, like what the next thing is like i think yeah. there was a lot of setup there was um so i don't know I, I don't know what it would be like reading that initially as separate pieces and having to wait in between i think the the decision to do something like that inherently raises a lot of problems right like it's it thank god it's good you know what i mean because you said that you weren't into it until the third part imagine yeah. if you had been reading that as a serialized thing and you had read part one you're like that's fine i might never and then you're that. out but yeah. because it's a one solid block of text that you can read and has been recommended to you, you put up with the first two parts, even though you don't like them. Like, I, I, I always have a problem with the serialized nature in that way, where it's like yeah. you can spend so much time hating the thing that you're reading just to get to the good part. That happens a lot in a lot of other kinds of media. Uh, so, that, that yeah, I, I just think that that, that yeah. ends up lending itself to being problematic. But, I mean, he's such a good writer. Yeah. And generally, that's fine. Well, and let me tell you guys what actually happened in 1996 is people fucking freaked out over this book. So he released oh, really? the first one. It was under 100 pages. 
And every single month, so um, at one point, when the sixth one came out, all six were simultaneously on the on the New York Times bestseller list at the same time. Oh, wow. But every month when one came out, they would immediately sell out everywhere they were available. So like most people were, it was the kind of thing where it's like everyone was waiting for the next chapter of it. And so I, I was reading it, thinking about that. Yeah. And I feel, so the way that he does it for people who haven't read it yet, like, is he'll leave you off with a cliffhanger at the end of a part and like a crazy cliffhanger. It'll, it'll be like, oh shit, suddenly someone's magic. I had no idea. <laughs> right. And then the next part starts and then you have a really slow kind of sad chapter of Paul who he's like, okay, I just finished writing that one. I'm back in the nursing home. My, yeah. my hands hurt, whatever. Um, and he sort of reflects on what he's written and then he gets back into it. And one thing that I thought was really clever is I noticed that he always like redoes a part from the previous yeah. part. So he'll like, you know, it'll be like a conversation between people and he'll do it again, but it won't exactly match mm -hmm, it. Cool. So it's like, he's really someone remembering it, which again, I feel like it, is something that's funny. While, so good at. while I was reading that, um, that reminded me a lot of like watching a TV show and it's mm -hmm. like the last time on mm -hmm. yeah. the it's green like, mile. Yeah. It's like slightly different when they do that. Yeah. But yeah, it's slightly different. Uh, yeah. There's a little more detail, um, a little more setup for what's coming next. Yeah. So is that, so it, did you all read this knowing that that was the case, that it had been published as six serials. I think so. That were um, together. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I'm wondering for someone who has no idea yeah. that that was the case, like Might reading a, a thing weird. happen and then hearing it again for a second time, but slightly different than the first time, like almost immediately has got to be super strange. Right. Yeah. I mm. think it would give you pause, but I, I like, this is something that Stephen King, he's so good at making it feel like someone's real brain, like someone's yeah. really thinking. And I think, if I were writing a book, like he, and he'll call it out. He'll be like, I think I said this already, but I don't want to go back and look because I've written too much. He's like a tired old man. Oh, that's very cool. So it yeah. really puts you in the feeling of like, this is someone just like laboring through this long story just because he has to get this story out. Yeah. Um, so I thought it was really effective. And I like, I sort of wish I had read it as a serial, like before I, I was 11 when it was published. So it wasn't really the time for me, but um, I think that would have been cool to read it that way. Yeah. I mean, I just thought it was a cool way to um, bounce back and forth between the story in the prison and Paul yeah. in the, in the nursing home. Yeah. And it gave you a nice break in between like intensely crying. Yeah. It was like, <laughs> it's cool. I'm okay. I'm still here. Yeah. Let, so let's talk about um, real quick. I, so none of us have seen the movie recently, but I did want to talk about um, the differences between the book and the movie. So we, we already talked about how, um, oh, actually, I just disproved our theory from earlier. So we thought that the reason he was older is because they wanted to retain his, like, birth date. Yeah. In the movie, it takes place in 1935. Instead of 1932. 1932. So they also moved it up. Yeah. So that makes no sense. And so I like your theory everything. better. Yeah. Yeah. So Stephen King, take note for Redacted, next time. redacted, redacted. Yeah. Um, all right. So other weird differences. So in the book... Um, it takes place in Georgia in the movie. It takes place in Louisiana, which is another, like, why would you bother? There seems to be no reason to do that. Yeah. Um, that literally, that to me sounds like a studio screen testing thing. Yeah. But why? I don't know. Just like, it sounds more Southern or something. Yeah. Other, so other things that are different in the movie. So I don't know if any of you guys remember this, who have seen the movie at the very beginning of the movie, the green mile, mm -hmm. Paul starts crying, watching the movie top hat. And that's how he introduces the, the, the story because in the movie, John Coffey requests to watch a movie as his like last request. And the movie he watches is Top Hat. And so the movie opens mm. with Paul in the nursing home watching Top Hat and he cries. And then he like opens up to Elaine about what happened. In the movie, none of that stuff happens. Um, or in the book. In the book, he does get upset watching a movie at the beginning, but it's a different movie and it's for a different reason. Um, 
we already kind of talked about this, but one other difference is that in the book, um, Wild Bill sort of psychically tells uh, John Coffey what happened, but in the movie, I think it's much more blatant than that. I think it's just like said out loud and we don't get to see all that stuff. And the last thing is in the movie, Paul is narrating the story to Elaine instead of writing it down as a book, which I felt like was a weird, I guess it's easier that way because you're in a movie, you can like capture someone narrating something in a way that you can't really capture someone writing something That feels like a natural decision to make if you're adapting something to a film. It makes sense, but it's also like, so 90% of Stephen King's books, the protagonists are writers. Yeah. So I felt like that was sort of an unfair change because it's like, that's so important to him that like the person is telling their story that way. Like, yeah, true. Just, you know. Weird. Um, and then the Maybe other. That's th- why Secret Window is bad. <laughs> There's a lot of reasons. <laughs> because John, because Johnny Depp wasn't. A writer? You no, know, because he, he wasn't uh, dictating the story to someone else. Yeah. He was trying to write it down. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing that's different. So in the movie, they, they leave out a lot of deaths that are sort of a big deal in the book. So in the movie, you don't hear about Paul's wife dying. You don't see Mr. Jingles die, or at least I don't think you do. Uh, you don't hear that Elaine dies and oh, his name is Brad Dolan, the mean oh. guy in the nursing home. Um, but he doesn't die. Wait, just oh no, sorry. He's not in the movie at all. Huh. That's so, like a big connection. Yeah. Yeah. So in the movie, there's like there's no there's I think in the movie there's much less sort of Paul's life in the nursing home. It's just like he happens to be narrating it to someone in the nursing home, and then at the end they walk out to the shed and that's it. Does the movie still like explain how the green like Paul's life is also like the Green Mile or is it just oh he lives long because he was touched and that's it yeah I so from what I remember I think that towards the end there is um a line from him talking about how it's like you know the Green Mile like we all have a Green Mm -hmm. Mile and or like you know I thought the Green Mile was there in that prison but it's really here in this like I think there's some line there about it but it's not as like spelled out yeah but uh, so there's no like descriptive way of showing that like in the book Janice's death is a, a huge yeah. point to that yeah I think that I think in the movie it's left sort of open-ended like you don't know how long he's gonna live for so I don't know if that was like a choice or if they just mm-hmm. so how does the movie portray Paul's suffering I think it just talks about how everyone he loved died so it's like okay. it, you sort of know that his wife died you know that all his friends died but I it's see. not like literally mm-hmm. also Elaine died and the mouse died and all that stuff Let's move on to the fun part. <laughs> Let's talk about Stephen King connections. All right. So, uh, so I read Stephen King books and I look for connections. I think, so first off, I always like to think about Stephen King books in the context of his life, because I think it's always like, we all know he was hit by, a, or I assume you guys know he was hit by a car in 1999. He had a serious cocaine problem from like, I think the seventies to the nineties. Um, and like, if you look at where the dark tower was written, you can see like the difference in style. So I think it's, it's always interesting to look at where this stuff fits in. So one of the things I was thinking about is obviously green mile has some overlap with Shawshank redemption. Shawshank was actually written 14 years before green mile. Um, so it was not his first prison movie. Um, and interesting random fun fact. So the green mile movie came out in 1999, which is the year he was hit by the car. So it's also keep this in mind for a second from now when I say something, but he was hit by a car on June 19th, which is why the number 19 is so important in the dark tower books. And in, uh, there's some 19 references in this book. I feel like 19 was important even in the, not maybe not as much as later books, but even in the, the earlier books, like it's even in the first book, yeah. unless that was added no, no. in later. So this is what's crazy is so from his very early books, he's always been talking about 19 
But after he got hit by the car on the 19th, he went crazy with the number 19. So it was like, yeah. So if you look at his later books, it's like way more obvious. Whereas if you look in like the first couple Dark Tower books, it's like, okay, 19 is his lucky number, whatever. But then it gets really weird. Hmm, Interesting. Speaking of 19, this was written 19 years after The Shining, which is relevant because uh, John Coffey clearly has The Shining. Yeah, or The Shine, according to the shitty Dark Tower movie. Or The Touch in the actual Dark Tower books. Right. However you want to call it. Um, And, yeah. And one other fun fact is, so in 1999, or 96, Stephen King came out with eight books. Six of them were the Green Mile novels, and two of them were another couple books that went together, which were The Regulators and Desperation. So that year, he had, like, this series of books that were all, like, connected to each other. The Regulators, is that a reference to The Low Man? I don't remember. Probably. I want to say yes. I, I feel like there's something with regulators having to do with the Dark Tower. I, I think you're right. The, so I've actually only read Desperation. Mm-hmm. But the thing about those two books is that they're like, they're twin books. So it's like, it's the same story told from two different perspectives. Oh, interesting. It's very cool. All right. So, um... Connections. So there's one 19 reference in the movie. In most Stephen King books, there are like four or five 19s. So it's like, I really had to dig for connections in this book. But um, when Mr. Jingles leaves the mile, Brutal takes out the visitor's log and he writes down that the mouse came and visited them on the mile. Um, someone asks what he's doing and he says, I'm responding uh, or I'm obeying regulation 19, which is that every visitor to E-Block shall show a yellow administration pass and shall be recorded without fail. Um, there is a reference to the territories, which, um, if you've read the talisman, um, one of my favorite Stephen King books, um, Jack Sawyer goes to the territories. That's like the alternate universe where he goes to save his mom. Um, and when they get out of, uh, after they save Melinda or whatever her name is, um, Paul talks about how John Coffey, like he expects him to be gone because they left him alone for a little bit. And he says, I expected that he would have lit out for the territories, which is a reference for like sort of going to nowhere. Um, the white. So this was a good one. Do you, does mm-hmm. there, yeah. So, um, he, so when, uh, at various points, I think there's a couple points he says this, but at one point he says, when John stepped forward, it was that other spirit, something white. That's how I think of it as something white, which took control of the situation. And Stephen King usually uses the white as a force of good. Yeah. So throughout like the, the dark tower, mm. um, it's usually the side of white is god which is like god in the stephen king universe right and then versus the outside darkness i think it's called or the outside dark yeah so those are ones i noticed that i think are real um i googled and found a bunch of connections that seem really tenuous so one is there's a short story called the little sisters of Aloria, where there's these nurses who heal people with um like Mm -hmm. they're it turns out they're maybe like vampires or something um but one of them who is the good one uses insects to heal her patients and john coffee does that too which is mm, cool. Interesting. Um, this one I was going to ask you about, Pat. Mm-hmm. So I found this crazy thing on a forum that said uh, that the connection that she found in the Green Mile was to the Dark Tower because apparently they talk about how things are in the southeast or the northeast of things. Does that mean anything to you? Not really. When I, I read your notes on this, I felt like they're grasping at straws here. Yeah. Um, I don't remember yeah. anything in the Dark Like, So I know that there's I mean, like that's directions. such a minor thing. Like, it's referencing... When he gets to the beach after the first book and the man, in, the man in black goes one way and he goes the other way. Is it southeast and northeast? I don't remember. Right. I, that, I, right. But I think that's what they're referencing. And that's just such a minor thing. Yeah. Right? It sounds like it could just be like a writer's quirk, right? Right. Yeah. I, I do think so. In the Dark Tower, like directions are important in that there's like this, um, what do you call it? Like a wheel. 
that's facing like different directions. Right. But, but I don't remember Southeast being particularly important. Yeah, I don't, I don't either. Okay. Yeah, Cause the dark tower has the whole, the beams, right? And the yeah. Beams are in a circle and each one, and, right. And if you yeah. like follow the clouds, it like goes in this direction. Mm-hmm. So with the, the white color, um, I guess when the insects sort of disappear, they like turn white first. I guess that's the same deal. I think so. Yeah. So I think it's like, right. He's like taking the, them, the pain in, he's like, getting it out of him as insects and then it turns into something good right or it's whatever magic is in him is cleansing that disease which i guess it's symbolizes pestilence right yeah um and then the last one that i came across which again seems sort of uh not real is a lot of people were comparing john coffee and roland from the dark mm. tower in that uh there's a strong moral dilemma right like you want to be the good guy but you don't know what to do um you're cursed with an unnaturally unnaturally long life which both of them certainly are um, and you're punished by like these forces of good for trying to do the right thing. I think that last one is the only thing that I would say they really have in common. It's both it, it they both kind of have this cosmic horror sense to it. I think of like like they're on the side of good, and there's some type of force helping them, but it's to its own end, not for their benefit, but for right. whatever this force is. Right. Um, and they they don't really have any control over it. And they're like, but other than that, I think they're. I I would say that's the only thing that really connects those two characters. I did not think of Roland a single time while I was reading the remake. I didn't either. So, all right, and the last one, Chris, this is for you. Apparently, there is an episode of The Simpsons called The Frying Game from 2002, where Homer meets someone named John Coffee on death row. Do you remember that? Sounds like I remember, but that might just be the power suggestion. (laughs) I don't know. Uh, Will you go watch that episode and tell me? I'm pretty sure it's just going to be like one site gag and people. it probably came out like right after the Green Miles. I think so too. It's also weird that the episode is called The Frying Game because that makes me think it's about the crying game and not Green Mile. Well, there's a lot of frying going on in Green Mile too. That's mm. true. Oh shit. Maybe there's a mix. Yeah. Maybe we should watch that episode. We probably should. Can I, uh, can I rewind the clock a little bit and ha- ask a question? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, the Shawshank Redemption. Yes. Do you think that there is any specific reason that he decided to revisit the idea of prison? inmates in a prison? Um, besides the fact that, like, just like an interesting place to have a story take place. I think it's just that the the hopelessness of prison gives you, like, a specific playground for how people are feeling and how... One thing that he says a lot in The Green Mile is that, like, when they so they'll they'll act out on the Green Mile and he's like, why not? You can only get fried one, once, right? Yeah. So like even if you kill someone, it's not going to change what happens. Yeah. Um. And I think Shawshank was sort of similar, where it's like everyone there was doomed regardless of what they did. Yeah. And I think that he tends to gravitate towards situations that are like, you are a good person in a bad place, and so bad things happen to you. Yeah. It to me they seem like thematically the inverse of one another. Yeah. Like like this could literally be an answer to the Shawshank Redemption in a way. Um. Go on. That's as far as I thought. How could it answer to what? <laughs> uh, well, I, I just, when I think of the Shawshank Redemption, I think of just um, an enduring spirit uh, atoning for your own sins and the acceptance, I guess, of, of bliss in a way um, that most people don't generally tend to accept their own happiness, I think, uh, in, in a lot of cases. And the Green Mile seems like just dire 
you know, yeah. even though there are these like magical, beautiful things happening, it just seems so fucking upsetting. I do kind of agree with you, though, because it's like it's kind of flipped because in Shawshank, it's like there's these horrible things that happen in prison. But then you get out at the end and it's like you can end up on a beach. Exactly. I mean, it doesn't end up well for everyone. But it's like in the Great Mile, because of what their destiny is, they're yeah. seeing all this beautiful stuff. Yeah. And in Shawshank, it's like, you know, you have 20 years left. So you're like seeing how horrible everything is. Yeah. They seem like the inverse of one another. Yeah. All right, I'm drunk. I've had oh, a lot of wine. Cool. Uh, let's wrap up. So, uh, final thoughts. I think the Green Mile is good. Oh, shit. And my next episode will be about it. That's cool. Um, have you read it? Yes. All right. Looking forward to it. I, I guess my final thoughts are I want to read more Stephen King. Mm-hmm. Uh, so far, the two stories I've read have been excellent. Um, I guess I have to watch the Simpsons episode. And uh, I think I'd like to read more Stephen King too. Is is, uh, Shawshank Redemption a short story or like a full book? It's a short story. Yeah, I guess I could check that out. Um, I definitely wasn't thrilled with the end of The Green Mile for some reason. I felt like uh, comparing a little bit to 11-22-63, it's kind of like... 11-22-63 had an amazing ending. It it did, but it kind of felt like maybe this is just a Stephen King thing, but like the endings seem to come in like waves or layers. Like it seems like the story could end, and then there's like this extra epilogue, oh, yeah. and then an epilogue to the epilogue. And I don't know. It seemed it seemed like um, the arc that ended before maybe going to the shed and stuff. I, I kind of enjoyed that. It felt like there was um, more closure to that. And then the the thing with the accident. I don't know. Um, I, 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 did, I didn't really enjoy it that much, but I definitely enjoyed the book and, and really liked it. It's like, it's like a nice ending and then one more heartbreak. Like Dark Tower. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I didn't read the book, but it sounds like it was fucking great. I'm glad that I was part of this conversation, even though I didn't read the book. I got a lot out of it. I hope you guys did too. Everyone listening there at home, uh, dear listeners. Uh, yeah, I'd love to come back uh, for a thing that I, I do take part in. Maybe if you talk about it, the movie or uh, other movies or other things that aren't books, uh, I would love to be back. Unfortunately, he writes books, so Fuck. I'll see what I can do. Or I can start a spinoff podcast about Stephen King's son and I can talk about horns. I we can I we can talk about horns. Cool. Well, the movie. Did you read the book? Nope. Watch right. the movie. OK. Uh, anyway, if you so Pat or anyone else looking to read more Stephen King books, I would super recommend it. That's one of my favorites. Um, and if you want another one that's sort of sappy like this one, Lisey's story is really good and very underrated. Um, they're all good. Christine. Cool. Christine. Love Christine. Goodbye. Speaking of connections, no killer car in the Green Mile, as far as I know. You will find the dairy connection and we can party like it's six nineteen ninety nine.